welcome to another fresh episode of NBRI from the Center for Retailing Studies, Mays Business School, Texas A&M University. I'm your host, Venki Shankar, Director of Research and Coleman Chair, Professor of Marketing. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Dr. Pradeep Chintagunta, the Joseph T. and Bernice S. Lewis Distinguished Service Professor of Marketing at the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business. Pradeep empirically studies pricing, advertising, and channels decisions in consumer and firm behavior in the packaged goods, pharmaceutical, technology, and online markets. His recent work is on development marketing or the study of marketing's role in the economic development of emerging economies. Pradeep is on the advisory boards of Quantitative Marketing and Economics, Marketing Science, and the Journal of Marketing Research, all premier journals, He's a prolific researcher with scores of publications in top-tier journals, such as the Journal of Marketing Research, Marketing Science, Management Science, and the Journal of the American Statistical Association. He's a winner of the Churchill Award for Lifetime Contributions to Marketing Research, a fellow of ISMS, or Informed Society of Marketing Science, and the recipient of two distinguished alumni awards, one from the Indian Institute of Management at Ahmedabad and the other from the Indian Institute of Technology, Varanasi. Pradeep serves on the advisory boards of corporations such as Mu Sigma, Synthesia, and also on the Indian School of Development Management. He's also on the board of governors of IAM Ahmedabad. Pradeep has chaired or co-chaired numerous dissertation, including those of several illustrious marketing academics. Pradeep has a PhD in marketing from the Kellogg Graduate School of Management, Northwestern University. Thank you, Pradeep, for joining me in this conversation today. Are we uh, now getting out of COVID-19 and uh, slowly vaccinating our way out? How have you been navigating the pandemic, Pradeep? Well, hey, first of all, Benki, thanks a lot for having me uh, on your uh, on your program. I saw some of the earlier videos and you know it's it's fascinating to see sort of the range of topics that you have managed to cover yeah uh, you know i think the obvious things that happened to everyone happened to me too you know working mm-hmm. from home teaching online interacting with phd students remotely i think all that you know we have all experienced i think the big change for my workday uh, has been that it has become really meeting heavy i think we have ended up essentially filling our days with meetings so before the pandemic, what had happened was that I had moved to the uh, north suburbs, to Evanston, in fact, very close to uh, Northwestern, our old uh, alma mater. And so the commute from uh, Evanston to Hyde Park uh, would take me like an hour or 75 minutes or so. Uh, and this was generally uninterrupted, right? So this was alone time either by myself or my wife, who also works at the UFC, we would sort of drive together. And so we would chat about stuff. But that, unfortunately, now that we haven't been commuting, that has also been filled up <laughs> with uh, uh, with meetings. Now, of course, there are some good aspects to it. I mean, I think the flip side is uh, these days I eat lunch with my wife every day, uh, which I think is a huge, uh, huge benefit. Bonus, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge bonus. I was t- today we were talking about you know diversity and inclusion and how. You know, uh, the, the perceptions, uh, uh, there's such varied perceptions about, about this topic, etc. So, yeah, that's a big bonus. So I guess you win some uh, and you lose some. But I think the biggest uh, effect, I think, has been 
um, in terms of sort of missing the conversation and banter you have with your colleagues, right. uh, I think that is, is sort of stimulates ideas. And I right. think the increased distance with PhD students, I think that's the part that I think really I miss. In the past, they would just like drop in in your office, have a casual right. conversation. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, man, we are all trying to do the best we can. So Sure, yeah. Looks like you have found a new normal for yourself. Uh, I introduce you in factual terms with your accomplishments. Pradeep, how would you introduce yourself maybe in five words or less? Maybe some of the terms that describe you. Well, I, I think five words or less, you know, asking any academic to describe anything in five wor- words or less is virtually impossible. So I won't even try. <laughs> or, already what I've said, you know, probably exceeds five words. But I That's think okay. you know, the, the, thing that, the thing that I think drives me perhaps the most is intellectual curiosity. I think it drives my research. Uh, questions get posed to me and I feel if, the, and if, if I feel that the answer is worth uh, worth looking for exploring yeah uh, exploring then you know that's something that i go for uh, but you know at the same time i think i'm also very cognizant about my limitations as a researcher there are things mm-hmm. that i know i can't do but there are many many things i know that i cannot do mm-hmm. um, so i think that's sort of the the other dimension and then the, the third part i think is uh, the third point i would make is that uh, recently what has been motivating me a lot is the uh, making an impact beyond just sort of the immediate uh, stakeholders that we typically think of as business school professors. Uh, and I think this is what has pushed me into this realm of development marketing, trying to see whether there are broader impacts, can we use sort of marketing tools and techniques to actually improve uh, the lot of, of, of people all over the world. And I think that has, that has been something that, which has kept me motivated in the recent years. So that that's a pretty good summary. I would like to classify, correct me if I'm wrong, as intellectual curiosity, academic maturity, and, uh, you know, developmental uh, focus on your research, right? So I think that's good to hear from your side. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your research journey. Where did it get started? And how have you, what are some of the turning points in your research? From what I know, that you are one of the scholars that can take any problem and analyze it using a variety of approaches. So uh, how did you evolve uh, from your start of your research career? Yeah, I, I, I won't put it in the past tense. I, I'm, I'm, I hope I'm still evolving, right? So I think, <laughs> you know, that's what, what we as academics always hope to do, to be in this continuous state of evolution. But, you know, a little bit about the journey. Uh, first of all, I always wanted to uh, teach. So teaching was the initial passion which drove me to, uh, to academics. Um, at a very young age, I think I, I wanted to teach. Uh, I didn't quite know what research was. I'm not sure whether the same thing was for you. When I you know, applied for a PhD, I showed up here. Yeah, yeah is that absolutely? Yeah, I, and sometimes yeah. even now I feel the same way. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I didn't quite know what what uh, what research was when I when I sh- when I showed up here, and uh, um, and you know I was really fortunate, I think, to have an amazing set of mentors who were, who were at Northwestern, uh, who had sort of joined roughly at the time I was, and then there was folks who, had all, who were already there. So I think most of it started with first recognizing what is sort of uh, the, the research area I wanted to be in. Those days, unlike today, uh, the demarcation between whether you wanted to be a behavioral researcher, or quantitative researcher, wasn't that clear. It was a decision that you made during the course of your PhD program. So I went through my first year thinking that I'm going to be a, a behavioral literature. 
uh, till I think at the end of the first year, a conversation with uh, Deepak Jain, who was one of my one of my mentors, uh, clearly uh, you know <laughs> made clear made clear to me that this is not a a path that I probably will be very successful on. And so I think that that summer at the end of my first year was my pivot. And I think since then, uh, uh, the early part of my career was mainly focused on the econometrics, as you pointed out. Uh, and so it was all about looking at data, trying to get insights from data. I think I was fortunate. It was a fortuitous timing because that that was around the uh, time uh, that the field as a whole was discovering so scanner data, right? And so I think I jumped in. Uh, into that scanner data revolution and essentially went with the flow as far as that revolution went. And that gave me, I think, the wherewithal to actually jump to other large data sets, um, you know, pharmaceutical data that you explained, and then more recently online data. So I think that was sort of the initial uh, initial part. Um, and, and then I think the, the key turning points, I think that's one of the things that you, 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 um, you had brought up, uh, what were sort of the key turning points? I think I, I credit that largely to a system that we have in academia, which is referred to as the sabbatical. Uh, I think the sabbatical system is such a powerful uh, tool, tool that yeah. is available to us uh, researchers. And I think uh, I, you know, whether it was completely serendipitous or whatever, I think I managed to take uh, some really good sabbaticals. The first when I was still at Cornell, when I came back to Northwestern and, and Chicago to, uh, to, to basically learn about two things. Uh, when I learned about Bayesian uh, uh, statistics and I learned about industrial organization, uh, I think that shaped my research for several years. Um, the next sabbatical I took was around 2002, 2003, which was to uh, Harvard and MIT. Uh, and there, I think it was all about this, the, the area of structural models, I think was, was, was at that point, uh, you know, really in its uh, uh, hitting its peak uh, in economics. Uh, and so I think it really helped me uh, in terms of, you know, my thinking and my learning. And I think most recently in 2012, 2013, uh, we spent the year at Stanford. Uh, and I think that basically got me onto this whole development economics uh, uh, a path which which I've tried to then incorporate into marketing as as development marketing. So I think these sabbaticals I think played a big role in helping me sort of rethink what it is that I wanted to focus on going forward. Excellent, that's a good summary. So what one can learn from you is also your openness to multiple avenues of research, manure methodologies. Uh, I remember you uh, coming to Northwestern. Uh, and sitting in some of the uh, I.O. classes, I remember you going to uh, Harvard and maybe sitting in on those structural uh, classes. And then uh, I'm sure you're always open to learning newer and newer things. And since you're a very quick learner, you probably implement it very quickly. But yeah. sadly, yeah. I, I don't think that is true anymore, man. I mean, as we get older, I think it's more and more difficult. Uh, but but you have a nice uh, way of doing this because you you attract some uh, outstanding doctoral students and you also shape and uh, guide them well so that you can co-learn with them and maybe co-produce and co-create and yeah, <laughs> hopefully yeah. make yourself uh, much stronger at the end of the day, which I, uh, I'm sure a lot of researchers want to emulate 
from you. Uh, we're talking about your research. I know you did talk about your initial foray into uh, leveraging scanner data, where you were looking at choice models, different econometric uh, ways of exploiting that data. But subsequently, you started moving towards more IO-based structural equation. But you studied a lot of issues, wide-ranging issues from pricing to advertising to uh, channel decisions. Uh, tell us something about those substantive areas that also played a part in your research. And what are some of your, what would you think as some of your key research that you feel substantively very uh, gratified about? Yeah, so look, one of the things that I think we really need to keep ourselves going in this profession is to be satisfied with whatever, whatever <laughs> we produce. Because yeah. if you are not even satisfied with what we do, uh, then I think it's going to become very hard to, to sustain our interests. So I think by and large, I, I think I've been very happy with, uh, with what, of course, there are always things that I wish looking back, I had done a better job on. Uh, but, you know, at the time, I, I really thought those were the best uh, things I could do. So I, I think early, uh, the early part, as, as you pointed out, uh, was, you know, fairly straightforward, right? I mean, the, the, the way in which we thought about getting insights from, from consumers, how consumers behave, those insights largely came either through surveys or through came through what, what we refer to as stated uh, approaches, right? where, yeah, yeah. stated preferences, where consumers would fill out a survey saying what, mm. what, what they would buy, et cetera, et cetera. I think there was the, the recognition at that point that maybe you want to look at reveal preference, which is what exactly people actually do, and then try to relate it to levers that, that uh, firms could potentially you know, uh, uh, work on. And I think that led to a lot of that early research in the field, which I was part of, which was looking at the effects of prices, looking at the effects of promotions, um, uh, advertising less then than it is today, but you know, looking at individual choices and how, how uh, you know, they were affected. But again, the, the substantive focus in a lot of this was how do we then help, say, the retailer make decisions, right? How do we then help the manufacturer make decisions? And as soon as you get to that, then you have to deal with issues of channels, right? Because obviously the manufacturers and retailers, especially if you talk about packaged goods, uh, live in the context of, of, of the channel. And so you now have to start including channel issues. So in some sense, you know, doing this research sort of logically led from one substantive area uh, area uh, to the other, right? And, and so moving from understanding what happens to consumers to then looking at implications for the firms, uh, I think flowed almost sort of naturally um, with, with, with uh, this, this initial uh, impetus to study the impact on consumers. So I think that part uh, flowed uh, flow quite well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, what I think subsequently, uh, and so maybe I can, uh, you know, if, if, if it's of any interest, I can focus on a couple of sort of specific projects that I'm either working on now. That'll be great. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, so the, the, while you mentioned firm behavior, etc., 
let me start a little bit with 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 what I've been working on in 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 the development area, and then I'll try to link it back to some of the uh, some of the issues. Right? Uh, is that okay? Would, would that would be great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think I was going to come to that anyway because I know you're studying uh, the role of marketing and uh, business strategies uh, for younger entrepreneurs in uh, developing countries. I believe you're one of the papers you're looking in Nigeria. So please go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So again, I want to link it back to what you what you uh, uh, you know earlier alluded to things like firm behavior, online. You know how how do all these things tie in? Right. So I think this 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 idea of of uh, development marketing was essentially to say, look, we have developed all these frameworks, all these tools in marketing, which have helped us essentially help businesses. Uh, make better decisions, and I think you know all that is evident uh, with with you know the application over the the last several years of many many of the tools and methods we have developed by by business, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that part uh, I know, for example, you have Harikesh who was on this program uh, uh, right ago, earlier, uh, and he's you know a, a great manifestation of this. My colleague JP Dubey works with Amazon. So I think you know this this importance of the kind of research that we do or did on sort of business outcomes that I think has been really well established. Now you know if you if you think about then you know what are sort of the broader ramifications of all these you know tools we have developed. I think that's where uh, you know uh, one of the things that that uh, struck me was that there is a lot more we could do. So for example. Our MBA students get the benefit of us sitting in class or on Zoom or whatever, telling right. them about like the three C's and the four P's of marketing, right? I mean, right. they have a framework essentially that they can take uh, to the marketplace to try and understand, you know, what are the different forces that would affect our our business. So that's something that they know. Now, put yourself in the shoes of all these small businesses uh, who are located all over the world. These are businesses that typically don't get access to the same kind of inputs that we are able to provide our our students. So the question then becomes: What if there was a, some sort of low-cost, scalable way of providing the same kind of information to these to these small businesses? Right now, uh, does that make a difference? Maybe it doesn't make a difference. Maybe they know all that needs to be known, uh, and so there's really not a whole lot whole lot we can add but if we can add uh, then maybe the, the the upside could be big now while the focus is on the small businesses in reality this has huge implications for large businesses as well because think of the unilevers of the world the proper right. gambles of the world they are essentially working through these small mom and pop stores in many countries in the world who are basically that last mile to to get the product to the hands of the to, to the consumer so in some sense the idea was if we can really improve the lot of the small businesses they will in fact pay off in terms of spillovers to the larger businesses so that was sort of the broad thinking and the way we 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 thought about how we go about implementing this because again as i said it has to be scalable because there's millions of these small businesses right there, yeah. right so how do we make this scalable and this was essentially the insight was 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 twofold one is the fact that hey there are lots and lots of business professionals located all over the world who can be prevailed upon to essentially volunteer some of their time to help these small businesses right so that right. was the one one uh, one one uh, one piece of it 
right? And so uh, uh, the other, of course, is that you don't really need these people to physically co-locate with the business to provide this information, which is something all our Zoom classes have now have, have taught us right. really well. So the ideas can be put these two things together. The fact that there are this multitude of, of, of uh, business professionals, professionals yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then the multitude of small businesses and this link uh, through ICT technology, which we could actually uh, connect, uh, connect the two sides. So I think that really is uh, what was the thinking behind it. And so what we did was we said, okay, let's um, let's figure out a way in which we can sort of do this in, in eff effective and efficient way. When we were thinking about this issue, uh, my my uh, co-authors or, or collaborators on this uh, on this paper essentially had this uh, came across uh, a, a, a platform located in the UK called the Grow Movement. The Grow Movement just happens to be a website, but the purpose of that website is to create a platform where both volunteers could volunteer to devote their time to these small businesses. And on the other hand, small businesses in certain countries, such as Uganda, Rwanda, uh, et cetera, could actually sign up to get this kind of volunteer coaching, right? So this website already existed. So what we did was we approached the website and said, look, maybe we can use your platform Right, to, in order to sort of multiply the effect of what you've been doing by essentially bringing onto the platform former graduates from our three schools, which happen to be London Business School, Stanford, and Chicago, we can try and convince our alums to get on the platform on the one side. On the other side, we can get RAs to essentially go to the small businesses and try to convince them that you know this is something that they might be interested in, in, in undertaking. And this was free of cost for the entrepreneurs, right? Yes. yes. Okay. So... Uh, there were several things that, yeah, that that happened. One is, of course, you know, yeah, this is completely so. Yeah, the, the reason why it is scalable is that it's free on both sides, right? The entrepreneurs are uh, the entrepreneurs get the service for free, and the coaches basically are not charging for this. It's 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 purely right. voluntary time. And what did you find? You did a lot of yeah. experiments, right? That's right. And so, you know, the way way in establishing this this is the value proposition to the platform that we had which is to say, look, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence you have gathered that what you're doing might work. And this is very typical of many NGOs, right? There's solid right. anecdotal evidence that they managed to put together, but it was less clear whether there was any systematic evidence showing the same, right? So, And so what we said was, look, we'll try to set this up with sort of the gold standard uh, for, for measurement, which is to, to, to run a randomized, yeah. Yeah, randomized controlled field experiment. Um, and, you know, you're familiar with uh, uh, Banerjee and Duflo and the fact that yeah. they recently won the Nobel Prize. Nobel Prize, right. That was sort of the same idea. But now we were doing in a very sort of a business context. So we got we got uh, uh, about 930 um, entrepreneurs, uh, of which, you know, uh, uh, about half of them were in the treatment group and received the coaching. The, ha the other half was in the control group. And the group that received the coaching were matched with these 530 um, uh, uh, professionals uh, who were volunteering their time. The matching was done entirely uh, uh, ra uh, randomly, right? So it wasn't as if right. we matched them on any specific skills or requirements. We just matched them randomly, okay? Okay. Uh, and so um, that allowed us some power later on to do various kinds of analysis at the back end. So then what did we do? So we, we, we allowed these folks to interact. We didn't 
specify anything. We didn't tell them that you have to talk about the framework or you have to talk about the customer or you have to talk about the company. We didn't do any of that. We left it open to them. But we uh, we uh, left. We essentially made sure that this was not sort of an open-ended commitment that the coach was making. So the coach was only committing to twelve weeks, and that to an hour each week. That was the nature of the commitment. And after twelve weeks, you know, they could both step back, and 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 uh, essentially the project was done. So what we found was sort of uh, interesting. First of all, the top line results, right? So the top line result was that the sales um, uh, increased by at least 30% uh, in the group that actually got the coaching. Got the coaching, right. Okay. And, and so to us, this was, first of all, gratifying because, you know, we were not sure whether, and, and remember, this, this uh, was two years after they received the coaching. Coaching was done in a period of 12 weeks. We went back two years later and then measured the outcomes, right? And so this was done uh, well after the coaching was received. And so this was a good, uh, to us- It was a long lasting impact. That's what you were Exactly, and we have actually gone back and I'm happy to talk about this. We've gone back during COVID to see how these businesses are going, et cetera. But you know, what, uh, what what, what we were able to show at least is that the sales went up now. Obviously, from, as, from the perspective of being a researcher, that's not enough, right? Because all that means is that you have found an intervention that make, makes an impact. But what is generalizable is really the mechanism through which this right. actually happened, right? right? And so when we went and looked at what really was happening, we focused on two things. We said either these coaches could have influenced sort of the strategic elements of what the entrepreneur was doing or the tactical elements of what the entrepreneur was doing. And the tactical elements, I mean, practices like pricing, uh, uh, promotions, that kind of stuff, versus more strategic is thinking about the customer, thinking about what you want to accomplish as a company, your vision, et cetera. Uh, Are you looking at the needs of your customers? Are you focused on your competition? The three Cs. Right. Okay. And so what did you find? Yeah. What we found was that really the impact was not in the four P's that the action was really with respect to the three C's. So what these coaches managed to do is that they were able to strategically influence. Exactly. Influence the strategy of these businesses, allowing them to think more about, you know, are these the right set of customers? You know, are there other customers we can serve? If so, do we have to expand our product line? That's excellent. Those kinds yeah. of things, right? And so that was, that, yeah. So this looks like a very formidable task because this requires you to devote so much of time, efforts, money, and over a long period to do that. So that actually almost reshapes the paradigm of research in our field, which we are used to taking smaller projects, executing shorter, and so on. So uh, how do you think this is going to shape future of, development marketing per se, because it looks like it is, it requires different resources, different clock, different, um, shall we say, incentive system, so to speak. So what are your thoughts on that? It's a, you know, look, that's a really good question. And to me, uh, uh, when you're starting off trying to do something, something new and different, you're still in the early part of the learning curve. Yeah. So I think, you know, for example, so going from the first project to the second project, which we did in Rwanda, which I think is perhaps much more mainstream in the sense that it was all about analytics. 
right? We basically gave access to these businesses to an app that allowed them to do uh, analytics or provided them with uh, analytics about their own business. Uh, and then we were able to track the decisions. Now, those kinds of things, I think you'd still need to put in some effort upfront because, for example, a lot of these businesses would not know how to interpret a graph. Yeah, you show them a graph of here's the trend on your sales. It's hard for them to internalize that you're somehow numerically taken what they've been telling us about the number of units sold, et cetera, and converted that to a trend of month on month on growth. But I think what it did do is it was able, we were able to, uh, from the learnings we got in the first study, we were able to implement in such a way that we did not require, you know, the level of resources required, et cetera, were much were much lower. So my hope is that there is a learning curve here and we get better. The second thing is I don't think all projects need necessarily be uh, focused on big issues. My my idea when I went in was that let's let's try and do the big issues, but that doesn't have to be the case, right? There can okay. be low cost interventions, um, mm-hmm. you know, that that we are able to uh, bootstrap, uh, you know, in, in much more effectively and efficiently than we have done. And the hope is that if this inspires enough people to get interested in, then over time, they'll figure out better ways to do it, right? The early movers usually are not the most efficient or or maybe... Right, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think as the field develops, we'll have more of this. But Pradeep, uh, this is excellent research because it has direct implications for retailing, uh, yes. because retailing in all parts of the world where small, uh, you know, small and medium businesses are the backbone of most economies, not just... Uh, in developing our emerging economies. But even in this country, for example, the pandemic had uh, has really um, wiped out uh, much of, you know, of about 40,000 uh, small and medium scale businesses, restaurants, yeah. retail shops, and so on. So I think this is a lot of uh, very useful impact uh, all across the country. So we have to applaud your research on this. Um, it also is very consistent with our business schools uh, tagline which is advancing the world's prosperity so in some Mm. way some way your research is contributing to enhance prosperity because i think you're trying to teach uh, the small entrepreneurs in uh, different parts of the world ways in which uh, they can improve or enhance their businesses which in turn will create more sustainable businesses now you what moving forward what are some of the research uh, topics research projects or research frontiers that you are focusing on i know that you still have some more projects on the uh, development marketing but in addition to that are there other things that you are particularly passionate about yeah look i think you know we all have portfolios of projects that we that we manage so i you, you think a lot of what i do also is, falls into very much sort of the traditional uh, type of research that we are all uh, used to looking at so I'm still interested in, for example, uh, st- uh, work with a with a small a Chinese startup on how they should start pricing their app, for example. Yeah, uh, and there are huge issues. Right, something is free right now. You don't want to do advertising. How do you monetize? So I think we we do sort of those sort of traditional kinds of projects as well. But I think in general, the the the, the topics that 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 I think I find most exciting are those that have broader societal implications for firms' actions. I think that's really uh, I think what uh, what I'd like to focus on. Uh, and and so uh, you know this could be in the context of consumer privacy. I know Oded mentioned something about privacy in in. Uh, uh, in, in his conversation with you, uh, right. sustainability, the environment. I think 
all these things are important issues. And I think our job as researchers is essentially to first try and understand for what are sort of the implications of these issues, right? Because it's not as if we have thought about this for that long. So it's, we don't have really have frameworks to, uh, to, to look at, et cetera. So let's first try to spend some time thinking about the implications for policymakers, implications for consumers, implications for firms. Then I think it's, it's important that we step back and then basically say, can we now use economic principles, right, to come up with, you know, appropriate models for firms? Because I think at the end of the day, what we need to make sure happens is that the firm uh, ultimately has a model which will allow them to undertake actions and initiatives that address these issues like privacy, sustainability, environment, etc., but doing all that within the context of profit maximizing and maximizing shareholder value, right? So I think we require some uh, careful thinking uh, about what are sort of the types of models, economic models that we need, that, that we need to uh, be working on. So I think that is, uh, uh, that is on the one, uh, on the one hand, the other, on the other side, I think we still need to, there are many issues, right? It's not just economic development uh, for poorer countries. There are issues of health. Right. So some of my research has focused on how do you leverage people's social networks uh, to address health related issues. Right. You can see this happen during the pandemic. We are running a study in Zambia right now where we're using um, text messages from people in your own um, social group to try and convince others in your social group to basically, you know, socially distance, to wear masks, those kinds of things. Right. Uh, I did, we did the same thing with tuberculosis in India, trying to identify other people you can potentially treat for TBs. Again, mainstream marketing tools mm -hmm. like social media, but using them for for health uh, 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 outcomes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, health outcomes, right? Health, education, right. etc. So I think we really do have the tools. Uh, we have we have sort of been helping company large businesses for a long time to help them better communicate and convince their customers. Uh, I think, you know, uh, if we can somehow leverage these same tools to try and solve bigger problems, uh, I think we can all be better off. And I, I really love this, this focus on prosperity for all, right? I think right, right. ultimately that is... Uh, that is the know, yeah. That is a holy grail for everybody. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Right. I mean, yeah. I'm a big fan of Star Trek, right? And so there, <laughs> you know, it, it, it is a world with no currency, right? There's money that is not important anymore. The, People don't even know what money is. Right, so right. I mean, you know, I think I think I think we should really aspire to those kinds of issues and topics. That's great to hear from you. So on that note, maybe I should ask you, what are your, uh, you know, we have among the audience managers, former students, policy could be policy officials, current students, and uh, you know, researchers. What would be your message for, uh, you know, people as we move out of the pandemic? and um, go forward? What are some of the things that they should do differently uh, in the future? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could uh, come up with an easy answer to that. Uh, I think, look, for policymakers uh, and policy officials, I would say there's already an incredible amount of knowledge and expertise that exists in the world, right? We, we know uh, a lot, uh, and every day we are adding to that knowledge base. Uh, but I think the, the big friction is how do we figure out a way to leverage all this knowledge, right, uh, to help address sort of the bigger policy-related questions. Uh, and I think somehow if there's a way in which we can sort of funnel 
all this knowledge that we are generating into thinking about you know how exactly this is going to have have implications so maybe you know as 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 uh, contributors to journals we should take that part more uh, uh, a lot more seriously uh, like i think a lot of times we write managerial implications in in our in our papers maybe we should also maybe start nice to have policy yeah, implications uh, okay. manager and policy implications i think that's one thing for researchers and practitioners i think look it's it's something that we've always said right learn what you're good at and then just get better at it Right? right and so i think you know if if uh, if if, uh, if we focus on that i think you know we we should we should be in good shape so essentially what you're saying pradeep is broaden your horizon no matter who you are a stakeholder in business schools but make sure that uh, you know you now see the bigger broader picture rather than some narrow uh, focus on what you've been doing in the past and that would be the change or major difference that you would like to advocate whether you're teaching in your mba programs or emba programs or whether you are doing research which you are now looking at bigger more impactful issues societal issues and also for budding students or prospective students to look aspire for careers that are now more enriching and broadening than that is a very narrow field. Uh, it is very interesting because we are also in an age where there is a lot more narrow focus and specializations as people uh, start to become, you know, people are taking these specialized courses and so on. So how, how would people balance the two, you know? You know, now there's an increased emphasis that people have to be very skilled in something, right? So um, how, how would you advise yeah. people to look at the two together? yeah so i think you know for 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 our mba curriculum i think you know the the uh, one of the things that our students uh, really like to like to focus on uh, is uh, these days on experiential learning yeah and a lot of these things are better best learned uh, you know quote unquote in the field so right. if there is a way we can sort of say look most of what you will be, be doing in the uh, in the classroom, classroom itself is going to be more sort of the traditional skill building that you, that you can focus on you can be a finance major marketing major whatever but when it comes to the experiential part maybe you also want to think about you know uh, the 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 impact say on 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 society so if you do a project uh, which which is trying to get to say um, uh, an online business and you 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 do something like recommend free shipping to the business maybe you just don't think about free shipping but also think about what are the downstream consequences of free shipping right so does this generate more wastage does this generate more packaging how do we then deal with those sort of downstream outcomes of what we are recommending and i think if sort of the uh, either through the experiential part or 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 something which will give them a sense as to what you know the larger ramifications of the recommendations are i think that would be great for phd students unfortunately i think one of the 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 issues is that this will lead almost invariably to uh, longer duration in the programs right i think you know if you if you look at for example in the past all we had to do is to learn econometrics right then we had to learn bayesian econometrics then we had to learn structural models now we have to learn everything there is in computer science right. uh, so i think phd students really i think the bar uh, has 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 gone up quite a bit i'm not sure how you and i would fare in today's <laughs> right today's well the skill is, the skill development bar has gone up but as you said yeah. the the focus also has to broaden so that also is challenging 
but your, yours is a very good message that combined classroom and experiential. Unfortunately, the pandemic is not allowing a lot of people to go out into the field per se. But one of the ways that you can achieve it through simulations and virtual reality and augmented reality, I guess that's where the imagination comes into play. And there, these are good ways for people to kind of vicariously experience certain some of these. And I guess that's where um, there's a lot of development going on. At least you mentioned computer science. Yeah. They're creating models, virtual models. So whether it's uh, analyzing healthcare consequences or education impact, uh, we can do a lot through the simulations and modeling to a certain extent. But on that note, I think it's a very positive note, very broadening note. Thank you, Pradeep, for our, your time and very, very valuable insights. I know that you continue to rock by uh, producing more and more research and wonderful PhD students. And I wish you all the very best going forward. Thank you.